no. The puns. Yeah, sorry about that. The puns have started yeah, already. They started early in this one. <laughs> Silver linings, as they say. Okay, brass linings, maybe. A loud, sell the team, sell the team chant came up all across the stadium. It was so loud that the pitcher thought his pitch comm wasn't working because he couldn't hear. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars number 272 where we're refusing to bow to pressure by having no clock whatsoever on the podcast. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the frustrated Joshua Housem. <laughs> and normally not yeah. a negative adjective, but... Mm, but mm. I mean, it's accurate. <laughs> I, I, I'm finding it very hard to get through a game at this point. Like, like not even just watch consecutive or multiple games, get to get, just to get through one. I, mm. It's just, this offense is just driving me insane. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the first thing we're going to go into depth about is uh, their approach. Even though the overall numbers are okay, uh, if you just look at raw, um, you know, raw uh, runs created, uh, situationally, and and the, the kind of hits they're getting, oof, uh, problems with the runners in scoring position, problems going the other way. So, of course, we shook up the lineup tonight in Baltimore because that always fixes everything that's wrong with the team. Uh, this is also in uh, the wake of Brandon Belt, who was one of the team's most productive hitters, uh, pulling a hamstring and going on the injured list. Um, then we have the pitching, which is still really good. I, it's not. It's probably the difference between this team being in last and uh, and still looking like it might do something if we poke it with a stick hard enough, uh, which includes. Uh, a starting rotation that is mostly uh, good with Bassett and Gaussman is incredibly consistent with Barrios and now has a bullpen game in, in when there are too many uh, games in a row because of uh, Alec Manoa and uh, no replacement for him. Uh, questions from you guys as well and uh, a gold star to Oakland A's fans who stuck it to the man this week. Um, yeah, the offense is offensive. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, t t t what's your biggest frustration, Josh? Well, it's an approach thing. Uh, for some reason, the organization has decided that everybody should be Bobachet. Which, hey, if they all had Bobachet's natural abilities, that would be a great idea. But they don't. And for some reason, everybody's going the other way. On it, like Vladimir Guerrero, we were recording this during the Euros game, just fouled off two fastballs in the other way for no reason. It's like just. <laughs> they've just they're 29th or 28th depending on which site you look at in pull percentage in baseball this is a team loaded with pull power chapman vlad varsho varsho actually pulls the ball a bit more but springer and even kirk his home runs are mostly pulled down the left field line and they're all shooting the ball the other way for some reason and i just i don't get how that's a philosophy that's been allowed to linger when their power has just not been there all season. I guess for me, the part that I find kind of weird is that um, one of the things about Bo Bichette that they have always said is he is the kind of hitter where you don't mess with his swing because it is a, like, it's a natural function of, of kind of how he came up. He's, he's not really a guy who, you know, you're going to tear down a swing and rebuild him because it works so well for him. 
And I'm like, so instead of taking that, the natural uh, thing that he's used to is, is, is good. And you should try and do that with all of your hitters who've made it to the major leagues as much as you possibly can. They decided that his actual technique is a thing to emulate, which seems completely inside out to me. Ah, inside out. That's the way they're swinging. But... <laughs> oh, no. The puns. Yeah, sorry about that. The puns have started yeah, already. They're starting early in this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just, it's just really frustrating. You know, it's a team that should be up there hunting fastballs. And the, the Rays openly said, we're just going to throw fastballs at the Blue Jays because they don't hunt fastballs. It's like, well, you got some of the best bat speed in the world in Vlad Guerrero Jr., Shouldn't he be hunting fastballs and he can adjust to the occasional breaking ball, especially if it's a one out count, as as in the bat I referenced earlier, he takes a fastball just in like in in like in the inner third. It wasn't that far in belt high. He should be looking for a ball there to hit over the fence. If the guy throws a slider and you swing and miss, so what? It's one and one. Instead, he takes the, the hittable pitch and it's one and one anyway. So no upside, but all the downside. Yeah, I mean we've seen um we we've seen over and over again this team kind of hit a single and another single and take a walk. And even great teams, it's a struggle to string together a lot of hits. So you, one of those hits, you should be trying to get an extra base hit, not not just get on base every single time. Um and and that also it, it you made reference on Twitter to the whole Larry Denbo thing, but it feels that way to me as well, that somehow with multiple hitting coaches, you don't have a real approach uh, that's tailored to each guy. I'm like, what, you don't have enough time to think about what they're good at? I, I don't understand. Well, and this is also, I mean, I, I, I'm almost never the it's time to fire a coach guy. I mean, even last year with you know the manager where Martello did get fired. It was sort of like it made sense, but I wasn't calling for it. I think they need to fire the hitting coach. I think Martinez needs to go because whatever he's preaching isn't working. And it's it's creating they're allowed, they're getting on base fine, but they have no power. And it means they need to get multiple hits to score runs. And that's just not an easy way to win a baseball game. Yeah, especially when you watch um uh a lot of the opponents not get much out of a guy like Kikuchi or uh, Bassett, right? One home run off of Gaussman. But one home run off of Gaussman could put the team in a really tough spot because it's a two-run home run, and the Blue Jays aren't scoring a lot of runs. Um, one swing of the bat makes the difference for other teams more often than it makes one for the Jays. Yeah, I, I, I referenced this yesterday, too. So we're again, recording this during the second game of the Orioles series. Bassett blew up in game one. Before he gave up the grand slam that made it eight to one, <laughs> the Jays had had a situation where they had leadoff double, one run, leadoff double, no runs, first and second, nobody out, no runs in the first three innings. Before it, and then the Orioles hit two two run homers to make it four to one over a couple innings. And then I said, commented like, the Jays should have four runs. Right, it should be four four, not four to one, and looking like it's over again because it, it forces their pitchers to be perfect. And the reason that they're doing as well as they are is because a lot of the times they have been, but it's just not a sustainable way to go through a season. Yeah, and uh, that all magnified by the fact that the actual 
you know, hitting with runners in scoring position has been abysmal for even longer than it was abysmal last year. This, this was a, a back and forth going on on Twitter about, you know, first six weeks of the season last year were bad and then things got better. Well, we are, what, 10 weeks into the season? 11? Uh, and they're still bad. <laughs> yeah, well, and you mentioned at the top the running, runners in scoring position problem. Um, there's a stat called TOPS+, which basically it simplifies it down to here's how you do in whatever split you choose. And here's how your numbers look when you're not in it. The Jays, TOPS plus is 85 with runners in scoring position, which means they're 15% worse. And that's in the top or in the bottom 15, sorry, the bottom 25 or 30 in baseball history. And last year through, like you said, through the first the middle of May, they were worst in history. And then they turned it around. But this year is just still going. Yeah. Um, so, of course, the answer is to shake up the lineup, right? <laughs> yeah. No. The thing is, like, should, still going. Theoretically, that should turn around, right? They're hitting 200 with runners in scoring position over the last month and a half, which is, that's just not logical that that would continue. But shaking up the lineup, I actually think, has value. Oddly, I don't normally. But again, I'm, mm-hmm. just, I'm, not, I'm all about the contradictions today. Because and I think minor leaguer at minor and score leaguer on, on Twitter was talking about this, how the J it might've been James and T.O. our other, the other two guys we always steal content from, but <laughs> Hey, hey we're not stealing about, it from minor leaguer exactly anymore. Cause they're on, on our very true. small podcast network. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> One of the hosts of the around the nest podcast, but the, they just had Vlad hitting third, which was where he hits most of the time. And then behind him, they were going belt, or Chapman, the two guys on the team who strike out above, at an above, above average rate. So every time the Jays get some, with something going, Vlad would come up and teams wouldn't throw him anything because they knew they could strike out the guys after him. And Vlad was expanding his zone or, or getting himself out or walking and then the strikeouts would come. But it was just getting people who can put the ball in play behind Vlad made a lot of sense to me. And in front of Vlad, you know, like we had Varsho hitting third today who doesn't strike out that much anymore. And right behind him, Alejandro Kirk, who right. famously hardly ever strikes out, ever. Yeah. Uh, um, and so we'll, we'll get to Belt in a bit. But when he comes back, I honestly wouldn't mind seeing a lineup that goes Springer, Bichette, Belt, Vlad, Kirk, Varsho in the top six. And then you can do Merrifield, Chapman, and Kiermaier in whatever order you want. But it just keeps some guys that make contact ahead of behind the guys that theoretically get on base so they can actually drive them in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's worth a shot. There is a logic to it. Um, but again, it's not going to solve their hitting with runners and scoring position problem. That is either going to solve itself or, you know, if we were really, really pushing, we would say fire the, fire the hitting coach. Um, belt to the injured list is not <laughs> suboptimal. I mean, he really was coming around. Um, he really was getting some of his power back. And I I watched him pull up on the after scoring after the I think he hit a double and then he scored on a was it another double or a single might have been I don't know um, was, I, I think it was a, a single where there was no play at the plate yeah uh, and I was like uh oh <laughs> like it, it was the classic grab your uh, your hamstring your hamstring just just before you you know do the last forty five feet of of your uh, your trip home yeah it was really unfortunate timing and. 
you know, he, as you said, he'd been he'd been their best hitter for about six weeks. Um, he'd been really turning back into Brandon Belt. The power had started to come around, a lot more doubles, a few homers. I mean, this is the Brandon Belt that he had been for his entire career. I mean, more strikeouts than usual still because you know, I guess 35 slowing bat a little bit. But the plate approach was great and the power was coming. So he turned into a, a real asset. But the, the bigger issue to me is how he's being replaced. The Jays' roster depth is bad. <laughs> it's like they just don't have any. So I don't know why they're using. So they called up Ernie Clement to take over for Belt while he's out. And people wanted Spencer Horowitz or Davis Schneider, a minor leaguer who's not in the 40 man. So that wasn't going to happen. My issue with the Clement call up is that now they have Clement and Lucas both on the active roster and neither of them are ever going to play. They don't have any value offensively, really, and they're not fast. I don't know, like, why? where's Winton Bernard? Why didn't he get the call at some point to just be a pinch runner? Because he's really fast. And and so they could actually get value out of the back of their roster because right now they're not. Well, yeah, you it, and with Danny Jensen still on the injured list, it, it does put them in that situation. Well, he's now, but... Oh, he's, he, did, he came back? My bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it puts you in a situation where, you know, Kirk was playing every day, either a DH or catcher. But... Uh, so tonight, it's Vlad at DH, Biggio at first, and Kirk catching. Yep. Do, do, do we want Kevin Biggio in this lineup all the time? Because he keeps worming his way in there. Well, he's been playing really well lately, so he's kind of earning his at-bats. A couple home runs, a big, the huge one against Seattle, and then he hit one in the first game of the Baltimore series off the bench. Uh, in that game, Jansen caught, and Kirk was the DH. But I, I, I think that as long as people are performing, they should be playing. I, I don't have so much an issue with Biggio getting in the lineup sometimes or Espinal getting in the lineup, but more so that there's no guy who can go in there just to hit or just to run. They don't have that in the bench, so they have two guys that literally only play if four guys get hurt, and I don't understand that usage or that creation. Yeah. Um <laughs> Probably should have addressed that in the offseason. Haha. <laughs> uh, and then your last tip, your point here that you, uh, I did write down ahead was uh, poor Kiermaier. They figured out that, that you can throw him breaking balls and get him out again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about this really early on. Uh, I was baffled by why people kept treating Kiermaier like, you know, uh, Billy Hamilton or something, where you just you throw the knock the bat out of his hand with fastballs. He's never been that in his career. He's a guy who can hit a good fastball and he can pull a good fastball. Well, he's no longer seeing them. In March, you know, there's only one game, 46% fastballs. Okay, who cares about that stat? April, 45% fastballs. May, 42% fastballs. June, 39% fastballs. <laughs> Teams have figured it out. It's like maybe throw him some soft stuff and he'll get himself out sometimes. Yeah. He's still hitting okay, but you know, it's it, he's this is the Kiermeyer offense that has been around for a long time, not the guy who had the 900 OPS for the first six weeks of the season. For sure. Uh, which means we flip over to the pitching side of things, which has we, two of our starting rotation consistent pitchers uh, have continued to do the Jekyll and Hyde thing. I mean, mostly the Dr. Jekyll, good, solid, lots of innings, gobs of strikeouts, but every so often, <laughs> like Chris Bassett on. Uh, Tuesday, uh, they just ex implode, 
And it's like, oh, now the bullpen has all kinds of work to do, and we know how the Jays' offense hits. Uh, it is going to be very difficult for them to get back in the game. Somehow, um, they managed one comeback on Sunday. Off of, off of a Gaussman blow-up. It's, it's so funny, because I'm looking right now, this is Chris Bassett's game log. He has 14 starts. In three of them, he's given up four earned over five, seven over four, and eight over three, and nine over three and a third. So four of them. Those are four horrible starts. Other than that, he has not given up more than two earned runs once. And he's had zero earned runs five times. (laughs) Zero runs five times. It's either he's been excellent or bad. It's really baffling. Um, Which... Uh, we were talking about basically the whole starting rotation ha- was having this problem at some point. I, I would I would give a shout out here to Jose Barrios, who has now turned back into La Maquina, I guess is why they called him that. He has not given up more than three runs in over a month. He has not uh, left before the sixth inning. Like his shortest start was five and two thirds in that, that same month. That's oh, yeah, rough. he's been refreshingly awesome (laughs) this is the guy that they gave the six years 120 million dollars to or seven years i can't i can't remember the contract exactly but the guy who is he was so consistent and he was the most predictable pitcher in baseball and that's who they've been getting of late and it's really nice to see it and you know we're in the middle of he's pitching a game he's gone five innings he has 50 pitches through five and one walk that is the line I'm not going to save the rest of it because it's the fifth inning. It's the sixth inning and it doesn't mean that much yet. But he's once again doing everything he can to make the Blue Jays win a game. And this is the the number two, three starter who's pitching like that, really, number two, that they traded for and signed. So it's really nice that that the questions about Barrios coming into the season have been answered. Yeah. Yeah, he he really is still that guy. Don't know what happened last year. But he's that guy. So, huzzah. Um, again, if this team ever gets to the playoffs, I feel like y- you, can, you can assemble a playoff rotation very easily out of, out of the guys that they have. Um, but I'm, I'm really not sure how this, this team gets to the playoffs. Um, especially, well, they got, well, they got four. <laughs> sorry. They're lacking a fifth starter right now, which I, I think is, uh, it's not the elephant in the room, but we, we're, we should talk about that bullpen game. Uh, I'd like to yeah, talk and about Yeah, and then we'll address game. that comment in afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also just like Kikut, so the bullpen game, the reason the bullpen game becomes an issue and has been an issue, what I know has basically been a bullpen game, is that it's following Kikuchi. Kikuchi's been better the last couple times out, one walk in each start and five innings. But five innings. He's thrown five innings or less or fewer every start since May 6th. (laughs) And when you're following that with a bullpen game or Manoa, it just destroys the bullpen. And then when when that that then gets followed by Gossman and Bassett doing what they were doing, the bullpen just has nothing. Thankfully, they had an off day this time. But I honestly think they have to have to switch Gossman and the bullpen day in, in the order with the off day they had. They have to. I was watching that bullpen game like I was in and out. I was watching the pitching changes because I was you know, fascinated by Trevor Richards. Shout out to Trevor Richards, who went 
way longer oh, yeah. and way better than anybody I think dreamed he was going to do. Um, but it looked like John Schneider had a very clear plan for every inning of that game and, and no plan B if one of them started to go south. That was the impression I got. I mean, part of the problem with that, I, I think you're right, but part of the problem is that they just had nobody available. You know, Pearson had pitched two innings the day before. He was down. Swanson had thrown in back-to-back days. He was down. Garcia had thrown in back-to-back days. He was down. So you had three pitchers who were unavailable. So to get an entire bullpen day out of five guys is pretty tough. I think that it would have been a lot more Mitch White than we got, honestly, if things had gone south. Um, but yeah, we got. you're right to shout out Richards. He's got 49 strikeouts in 30 innings. Yeah, it was it was crazy, and he did it efficiently. Did he get nine outs? He did. Yes, three shutout innings with seven Again, strikeouts. I I just feel like you get nine outs. His swinging strike rate you gave it was something ridiculous, like fifty nine percent swinging strike. Um, uh, to get nine outs out of your opener, quote unquote. I know he wasn't being used as a you know a strictly one inning opener. It, it was like okay. You, that's probably a whole extra inning you've got to play with now. And did Schneider just not want to use to 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 put Romano in for a six out save because he the way he's already been used? Yeah. So that this was my issue with how that game was managed. I get going to Simber a little bit. Like, you know, you sort of have to trust Simber somewhat. Um and Francis was starting to show signs of slipping. But what I don't get is not having Romano getting red hot the second the second bat sec, the second runner reached base. They waited until the bases were loaded to do that, and then a grand slam happened, and the and the game was over. And it's like at some point you have to trust your closer to get more out. The day before that, or two days before that, I can't remember which. No, it was the day before that. Duran for the Twins pitched two innings in a save, right? He does that more often than Romano, but Romano has to be able to. He was a starter at one point. He can do well, that. No, Romano's done it as a closer. Last yeah. year, he did it a bunch of times, four or five out saves. And, and or the again, six out save when he pitches the ninth and the tenth. He's done that this year. Yeah, it's it's not foreign territory. Now, if I don't know everything the manager knows, maybe Romano's usage up to this point dictated that that really was not worth some sort of risk in their mind. I don't I don't think that was the case, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. But it yeah, Simber clearly has had nothing on a couple of the outings since he's come back from the IL and the hook has been super slow and it means that Simber has given up home runs, which is really a thing that we don't expect from Adam Simber, but there it is. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing. I that the two hits were a bunt single and a flare the other way it wasn't like they were hitting him hard but he was topping out at 85 miles an hour and he doesn't work at that velocity he's usually 86 87 88 which is still not very hard but it's a significant difference and if people can see what's coming they have that extra little time to read the pitch he gives up bombs as has been happening lately so I just think when you see that coming out of his hand, you have to be ready to make the change. And if you have to use closer Mitch White, you have to use closer Mitch White. Yeah. All right. Well, we wouldn't manage like John Schneider does, but I guess I guess we've we've known that for a while now. <laughs> um, 
Any other comments on the pitching staff? You know, like I said, like Kikuchi was, has been fine. I mean, he's been he's been doing what they asked him to do. He's got an ERA of four two, and he's averaging just around five innings to start. That's perfectly acceptable. And Pearson's been excellent, and Garcia has looked a little better late, lately. Um, Simber's actually currently on the paternity list, so we so the Jays are able to get through the short bats to start by using Mitch White, Thomas Hatch, and uh, Bowden Francis, which is nice, not having to blow their leverage levers. So. I mean, there's some upside going on. Silver linings, as they say. Okay, brass linings, maybe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough, man. It's not enough. Uh, all right. So uh, that said, that that was the week that was. I, I don't know what else to say about it other than we're going to come back after a short break and we're going to answer some questions. Tease, 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 tease. We've had our respite. We've we've taken a deep breath. We've considered uh, the meaning of life. And now we will answer listener questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, first one is from Katie. Uh, Katie Wasiluk. That's spelled W A. S-Y-L-U-K on Twitter. Is it bad luck this season or are they just not that good? Do you think the lack of fun is having an impact? And she has another question, but we can we can answer this one first. Is it bad yeah. luck? Um, yeah, and it might be Vasi luck. We're sorry for saying that wrong, but you can correct us. <laughs> we'll happily get it right the next time. Um, is it bad luck? I think it's yes. I do think there is a luck element. I mean, they should not be so bad when there's runners in scoring position, it just doesn't make sense that their offense disappears the way it does. Cause it's not like they're obviously coming out of their approach, but they just can't get hits. Um, but I do think that it's also an element of like, of the way they are playing that is leading to the, to the problems. I, I do think they are that good though. I think that they, they're severely underachieving. In fact, I think the talent is there and I do think the lack of fun maybe has something to do with, you know, you see guys pressing a little bit in the dugout and getting angry. I mean, and baseball is easier when you're having fun, but I don't, I wouldn't blame that on the, like, blame the struggles on that. Neither would I, because they didn't win the division when they were having fun either. Yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they were, they had their ups and downs when they were a, a team that, that was really loud and boisterous. This is a team that really supports one another in a, in the dugout, right? You can see these guys. When, when someone's frustrated or someone uh, has done well, there's there's a lot of support. It's not exactly a party atmosphere, but guys hug, guys high five, guys will come over and talk to one another when things haven't gone well. M Manoa and Vlad have, have seen veterans come over to them. Um, so, it, you know, I, every team cares about its teammates a little bit different. So I don't think there's a problem with this team, at least what happens that we can see. Um, follow up. Also, where's the power? Oh, if we only knew. Uh, George Springer will answer your questions. Is it as simple as pitchers making better pitches against the big bats, or is it discipline by the Jays hitters really awful? <laughs> um, I think their discipline is actually not bad, but we talked about where we think the power's gone. 
to the other field. It's gone to the opposite field to die. Yeah. I, I don't think it's the I don't think it's the opposing pitchers. I, I think, you know, when, when every team saps your power, uh, I, I think it's your approach. hundred percent. And we've seen um, we've seen Blue Jays teams in the past where changing uh, a hitting coach has significantly changed the results. Yeah. Bring back Cito. <laughs> is, is Gene Tennis still alive? I don't know. I, I love Gene Tennis. Uh, Blue Jays rat girl at Ellie Ellie Hart says, what is with Buck saying the hardest ball to hit to the opposite field is down and away? I wonder if the reason he's saying that is because the down and the way ball is just really hard to keep fair if you're trying to go the other way. Because you have, in order to make contact with that pitch, your bat has to be way back. So you're probably going to slice it foul or into the into the stands or into the dugout or something. But it's definitely not. <laughs> it's certainly not the hardest. And Gene Tennis is still alive. Well, that's lovely. Uh, yes. there's, there's a story about Gene Tennis that I will tell some other time that I fell in love with him because in the 1970s, he understood the value of a walk. Um, but uh, Blue Jay Way. Uh, Blue Jay Way One says, "Is it me or does Brandon Belt look like Abraham Lincoln?" These are the hard-hitting questions we get here on the Artificial Turf Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as we know from when Nick was on here, he looks like Father John Misty. <laughs> of course, him, <laughs> who you know is <laughs> is who is completely completely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is this is established turf pod canon. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to dispute that. How could I? How could I possibly dispute that? Does Brandon Belt look like Abraham Lincoln, Josh? Uh, kind without, of. I mean, without the beard? Yeah, uh, I mean, without, not without the beard, but he's got the kind of same long face that, uh, that, that he had. But I, 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 more like Misty. Right. Um, and minor leaguer, uh, back to baseball questions, strangely enough. Minor underscore leaguer asks, who are your targets for the trade deadline? Can I, can I target Shohei Otani? <laughs> Uh, no, because the Angels are ahead of the Blue Jays right now in the standings. Yeah, we give him some pitching, so I could watch Shohei Otani every night. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's tough because if you look at the standings right now, the teams that are clearly out of it, they don't have a lot to offer. I, I mean, I don't want a role as Chapman. I don't want him on the Blue Jays. But the you know the Royals are out of it. I mean. They've got a couple relievers who aren't him that are fine, but bullpen isn't really, to me, the biggest area of concern. The A's are awful, but they're awful for a reason. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind just, of a whole package of awful. That's the problem there. Yeah, the, the Cardinals are interesting. Like, they, they have some guys who if they decide that they're giving up. I mean, they're, they're 27 and 42. They probably should. Cardinals and Cubs have some guys that would be worth targeting. They've got some bats that the Jays could add. I mean, Cody Bellinger would be a really nice addition with his ability to play first and center field. All right. I'm going to go with Cody Bellinger then. I'm going to bandwagon okay. with you. All right. And that concludes the questions, um, which means that we have uh, a gold star to hand out. And, you just mentioned the Oakland A's in your trade talk, so here's a gold star to their fans. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. 
Okay, so I just read this on Twitter tonight. Um, just for the record, as we record this, the Oakland A's just beat the best team in baseball, have won seven in a row, and are no longer the team with the worst record in all of MLB. Uh, nope. Now you can tell me, you can tell me why we're giving him a gold star because I don't think that's it's probably not the reason we're giving him a gold star. Yeah. So to this point, the fans have been staying away because of what they've done to the team and the plans to move it to Las Vegas. They just don't want to support a team that is being taken from them. I get that. I think everybody gets that. But yesterday, again, we're recording this on Wednesday. They did a reverse boycott. They sold 27,000 tickets. The first 7,000 of them were giving shirts that said sell. And then in the fifth inning, for the first batter of the, of the bottom of the fifth, or maybe it was the top of the fifth. I can't remember at what point it was. But uh, it was the fifth inning at some point. To the top or the bottom. For the first batter, they were completely quiet. And then when the next batter came up, a loud sell the team, sell the team chant came up all across the stadium. It was so loud that the pitcher thought his pitch com wasn't working because he couldn't hear it. <laughs> and it was just it was really nice to see that kind of organized displeasure from a fan base. You don't see that very often. And it's not displeasure at the team playing poorly. It's displeasure at the way the team is being operated and financed and being taken away from them. Yeah, that's an ownership problem. It's not, it's not directed at the players, obviously. Um, yeah. I would just like to say that back when flash mobs were the, the thing, th this would have qualified as the world's largest flash mob. 27,000 people <laughs> <laughs> chanting together on cue, going silent and then chanting together on cue. That's, wow. Um, and then the A's are donating the money from the game, which is actually a surprising move from the cheap A's ownership. They've decided that that, that revenue, because it was in protest, they're donating it to, I can't remember, some cause that was actually a good cause. It was 800 and some odd thousand dollars. It's like, wait a minute. When you get a two-thirds full stadium, you get 800 grand, and your team payroll is 40 million? <laughs> Maybe you could actually afford to put a team on the field here. Yeah. I, I mean, 100% a gold star there. I, it's just a bloody shame what, what Oakland has been forced to endure over and over again as, as a fan base. Um, especially since they do come out when the team's good. I guess that's the other part that drives me kind of crazy. You, you can kind of see Tampa's penny-pinching penny ways and they're maximizing every little advantage. You can hate them, but you can also realize that nobody's ever going to watch Tampa Bay, ever. And it's like, well, not in that location. I kind of get why you're going to maximize your profits because nobody really cares about this team anyway. There's like 10,000 people. But Oakland fans are great. And they've been yes, forced they to are. suffer every which way but loose for like the last, what, 25 years? Yeah, and whenever that that team is good, which they've been good a lot, surprisingly, because they've been run very well by the by the front office people, not by the the ownership, the fans flock to the stadium and they are loud. I remember when Grant Balfour was on the team, he had this cheering section that would just go crazy when he would come in to close games and it's fun seeing that kind of support for a team and it's going to be really sad when it's gone if they assuming the Vegas stuff goes through, which it's it's in limbo at the moment with the funding for a stadium, but it seems very likely they're going to leave regardless. Yeah, so uh maybe all you'll have is a gold star uh A's fans, but you can keep it forever. 100%. So, 
That uh, rolls us through another week in Blue Jays land. Um, I propose to you that you might give me a final thought at this point, if it strikes your fancy. Yeah. Uh, so Brios did not complete the no-hitter. He lost it with the first batter of the seventh. And I almost think that's not the worst thing. They're currently <laughs> leading the game one nothing. I mean, when the time you listen to this, it'll be completely outdated. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. But from a strategy standpoint, in a game that is this close, you don't want to be in a situation where, say, he gets to the ninth and it's still one nothing, where Brios is coming through the lineup now for the fourth time instead of going to Romano because he's trying to complete a no-hitter. Yeah. So I, I think it's okay. Fair enough. Um, I am going to kind of follow up on something I think you said sort of right off at of the top of the podcast when I describe you as frustrated, which is it's tough to get through a game. And I 100% agree with you. <laughs> it is, they're not a bad team. I don't want anybody to think watching, you know, listening to me is like I'm ragging on them for being a bad team. They just don't have anything in this, in the track record here that says uh, they're getting more fun to watch. The offensive approach, the kind of like nail biting, is the pitcher going to blow up today? Because when he blows up, he's really going to blow up and I can just turn the game off because the offense might come back one out of every like, what, eight times that something goes south. Um, it It's not very compelling and it's, yeah, it's not very compelling. And I, I don't know how to shake that feeling. I feel kind of sad about it. I just want, I want to get that out off my chest because this is my soapbox and i get to do that <laughs> how, how do i how do i get excited and i'm maybe you're not the best person to take advice from you can't get through a whole game either yeah i mean it's a problem right i mean you can get excited to watch barrios throw the way he's throwing or gossman pitch the way he pitches most of the time right but it's hard to get excited about the team and the way they're playing and it's an unfortunate it's also it's like the offense Offense is exciting, right? Like, if you're like me, you can get – I'm such a pitching nerd that I can get more out of a good pitching performance. But offense is what makes people enjoy watching the game, seeing their team score runs, keeping – whereas pitching is keeping the other team from scoring, right? You're not doing so much as preventing. Yeah. And, and so, I'm, I'm hashtag nine runs guy, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when your team buries someone, like when they scored 28 against the Red Sox last year, that was just freaking incredible. It was so much fun seeing it go as high as it did. Now, they scored 20 against Tampa one game, but most games are scoring two, three runs and it's tense. You don't get that ability to relax and enjoy, which is when our, where offense really comes in. Yeah. So I, I don't know what has to, what has to change. I, I, I think this team... I guess I need to see this team hit more home runs, to be perfectly honest. I would, I just, Bo Bichette should not be the home run leader on this team as much as he's a great player. Not with Matt Chapman, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Springer, and Varsho all on this team. Bo Bichette, somewhere in there, should, should, have been, should be lapped by one of these guys soon. Uh, so I guess, fingers crossed that one of them just tells, the, tells is it Victor Martinez? He's well. He's one not the head hitting coach, hit, but he's coach. there. Uh, one of them tells one of the hitting coaches, "You know what? I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try and do this. It'll be a little more aggressive." <sighs> All right. So 
you have been Joshua Hausam at Joshua Hausam, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been episode number 272 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you next week. <laughs>